We'll have the message, Howard, here to speak to us. God bless you as you come. I was uh, at retreat at uh, Camp Arnez Wednesday through Friday, and Friday Kathy dropped me off in Winnipeg because I was at Promise Keepers last yesterday, and and uh, got back, and uh, great time. And so uh, the time change sort of hits a little hard sometimes when you're busy like that. But glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm here. Uh, and uh, look forward to our time together. Just before I uh, share uh, on the power of prayer, in your bulletin, we, we got here early and we snuck this into your bulletin, okay? Uh, it's, um, we were sort of hoping to have had our uh, capital campaign video all set, uh, but if you know anything about trying to get things done in a right time, there's always schedule delays and uh, information delays. Uh, and so it wasn't available. And so what we did is we tried to put some very uh, interesting, uh, hopefully interesting, uh, some just uh, some things together on a on a bulletin insert for you. And uh, as you know, at Turtle, we are planning uh, this September to dig the basement and put a building up uh, that. Uh, is the largest uh, building we've ever attempted. Uh, we really believe that God is in this, and what we tried to do on this is to show you at least three reasons why, um, to uh, validate that, yes, uh, God is uh, asking us to move forward in this. And uh, we're excited, we're nervous, we're, uh, we're challenged, uh, and uh, we, but yet we believe that this is the way that God is directing us. Uh, we hope in the very near future, when we get that uh, brochures and the actual information out, we will be able to get it to you, and you can uh, uh, pray about how you can be involved. But this is just a, sort of a, a teaser as to. Uh, what is, uh, what is coming. So take that and uh, use it to pray and to uh, ask the Lord how you as an individual, as a family, maybe even as a church, can be involved as, uh, as we venture out on this challenge. Thank you for reading James chapter 5, uh, verses 13 to 18. Uh, that's uh, the passage we want to look at this morning, and primarily the verse that <clears throat> Henry shared with us. The last part of verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. <clears throat> Before I do, though, I want to ask you this question. How would people describe your prayer life? Do you see answers to your prayers? Or would you admit that your prayers are largely ineffective and powerless? Maybe not all the time, but on occasion. When you pray, does it seem like 
heaven has locked you out. We've always heard it, well, prayers only bounce off the ceiling, okay? You ever been in those times? When you try to think of an example of answered prayer, you have to scratch your head long and hard to, to even think of one. All of us can become effective prayer warriors. Kathy sang this song, Prayer Warrior. And we thank you for those of you that are prayer warriors for camp. Um, and, but we all can become effective prayer warriors. We can pray in such a way that God can use you to change the course of a life, a church, a camp, a city, and a nation. As the passage in James chapter 5 says, Elijah did. Latter part there, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed, rain stopped. He prayed again, rain came. I won't go, I won't read this passage again, uh, but I would challenge you to read it yourself a couple of times. One of the things that grabs me is every verse has the word pray or prayer in it. Seven times that word comes up. So it is important. Oswald Chambers said this, Prayer does not equip you for great works. Prayer is the great work. Prayer does not equip you for great works. Prayer is the great work. You see, prayer is both an incredible privilege and an awesome responsibility. It can move the hand of God in situations where otherwise there is no hope. Prayer is that vital key that connects us to our Heavenly Father. It's that communication that we have with Him. It's that language of dependency. It recognizes that we're powerless without Him, and it trusts God for our every need, whatever every is for you. You can pray, and God, the all-powerful God, will hear. Prayer is an act of obedience. It's a privilege that you and I as believers have that the world doesn't have. We have a direct link to the God of creation, and we have a communication line. And that's really what prayer is, isn't it? Just straight communicating with God, talking with God. It unlocks the door of God's power in your personal life, and it unlocks deliverance for nations if the nations would pray. The Bible commands us to pray, so it's not an option. Someone wrote this, and uh, I, as, as I read this, I just, it, it's good. 
Prayer has divided seas, rolled up flowing rivers, made rocks gush into fountains, quenched flames of fire, muzzled lions, disarmed vipers and poisons, marshaled the stars against the wicked, stopped the course of the moon, arrested the sun at its rapid race, burst open iron gates. Prayer released the souls of, uh, from eternity, conquered the strongest devils, commanded legions of angels, down from heaven. Prayer has bridled and chained the raging passions of man and routed and destroyed vast armies of proud, daring, blustering atheists. Prayer has brought one man from the bottom of the sea and carried another one in a chariot of fire to heaven. What has prayer not done? You get it? Prayer. Uh, as you read from Genesis 1-1 right through to Revelation Prayer has been very much a part. Communication with God is very much a part of God's word. How is it then that prayer can do all this? How is it that we can pray to be that effective? In James chapter 5, the passage that was read to us and the verse the effectual, fervent prayer, King James says, availeth much, of a righteous man availeth much. Or in the NIV, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. I want to look at and break this down a little bit. What does it mean, the effectual or the effective, fervent prayer? Well, effective, the dictionary describes as useful, valuable, successful. It's current. And as a mature Christian, we are naive to ignore or to deny the reality of spiritual conflicts between good and evil. We read in Ephesians chapter 6 that we we struggle not or we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We know we're in a spiritual battle. If not, we're naive. We're ignorant. We're in a spiritual battle, and our main weapon is a prayer offensive. It's, and with that prayer offensive, it's understanding and a keen knowledge of God's word. Part of the armor of God isn't so much an item, but it's a position. And pray, right? And having your knees, or, and we could look at it if we wanted to, but the whole idea is prayer. The same way Jesus fought the devil in the wilderness in his experience. We know the story. Forty days, he's been out there in the wilderness, and the devil comes to him and three times challenges him to bow down and worship him. And three times, Jesus refutes and, and, and holds off the devil. How? By understanding the scriptures and knowing the scriptures. And we, too, can apply the scripture. And one of the greatest ways to apply the scripture is to learn to pray the scriptures. Psalms is a great place to start. Psalms is David's prayers, David's uh, poetry, I guess we could say, 
others as well, Moses and other, other writers who, who recognized God and their soul cries out to God and they pray and we have that written down for us. We too can use those and we can pray and be effective. So first we need to recognize that we are in a spiritual battle. The second word is fervent. What does fervent mean? And as I say, the NIV doesn't use that word. The King James does. And uh, the fervent, again, the dictionary, earnest, passionate, energetic, alive, persistent. Does that describe your prayer life? I have to admit, it doesn't always describe my prayer life. I'd love to say that every time I pray, I'm passionate and I'm earnest and I'm alive. The best definition that I found for fervent was showing ardent or extremely passionate enthusiasm. Can you imagine what would happen if that was all of our prayer life? Ardent, extremely passionate enthusiasm. Some of you are grandparents, and some of you are parents, and you know when your child is passionately enthusiastic about something, you can't help but do something about it. Now, if it's in the negative realm, uh, naturally you're, you're... you're doing it more on a disciplined purposes. But uh, I would really like to get involved in this and this. And they, they get passionate and they, they persistently bombard you until you say, well, okay, we'll try it for a little while or, or whatever it is. You know, maybe they want to join up for hockey or tiddlywinks or whatever it is. And, 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 you, uh, and, and they, they just persistently come at you with a, with a passion that you cannot deny and you cannot refute. And I believe that's an example of what prayer should be as we come in before God. We're coming to before God the Creator. We're coming to God as, as our Father. And as a Father, He wants to give us good and, and very good things. Every good and perfect gift comes down from God, the giver. Fervent prayer is putting your whole self, all of your emotions, all of your attention, your mind, your will, into that one thing that you're praying about. That means that your mind is is focused and you don't drift off onto other things. How many of you have done this? You know, you're praying. And uh, maybe it's your own personal quiet time. And or one that bugs me, and because it, it's often me, we're in a prayer meeting or you're in a group of people, and it's not your turn to pray. And so somebody else is praying, and then your mind says, oh, I've got to get that done, and I've got to do that. <laughs> How many? Don't, don't raise your hands, okay? Uh, it, we, we drift off. We, we, we lose interest. 
That's not what this passage is saying. Fervency means that we grab hold of God. We grab hold of this one thing or the, the thing that we're praying about as a group, and we're there. We're connected. Fervency. Hebrews 5, 7 says this of Jesus. He offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his godly fear. With loud cries and tears, that's fervency. He grabbed a hold of his father. Where did he do that? Garden of Gethsemane. We know just before the Roman soldiers came, just before Judas betrayed him, he's sweating drops of blood, as it were, fervent in his communication with his father. So Garden Gethsemane is the ultimate, ultimate picture of fervent prayer. Effectual, fervent prayer is the hardest kind of work there is to do. Not only does it take more out of a person than any other kind of work, we have to handle ourselves with a strong discipline to make time for it. And I remind myself that I haven't arrived yet. Fervent prayer, it takes hard work not only to keep our minds on what we are praying about, but finding the time and the busyness of life to actually pray and connect with God. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man. Next word, righteous man. What does that mean? That means a person in right standing before a holy God. When a person is right with God, the power of his sincere prayer is tremendous. And we have an example of Elijah right here in the passage. Elijah, a man just like us. And I'm glad they put that in there. Elijah was just like us. When we say righteous, we're not saying perfect. We're not saying sinless. There is no one righteous, no, not one. There was only one righteous person, and that was Jesus Christ himself. And if we think that we can get to that point where we're sinless, we deceive ourselves. Because that human nature, that that nature within us that is always warring is there. But a righteous man, A righteous man knows how to come before God in in a humble spirit, asking for the Lord to draw him to himself. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Righteousness is not perfection. Righteousness is not sinless. It's a right standing before God. And how do we do that? We do that, first and foremost, by what do we do with Christ? 
Have we trusted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior? That's the first step for being righteous. Because the Bible talks about Jesus gives us his righteousness by taking our sin upon himself. Now that's an exchange that is pretty good. My sin, my lying, my cheating, my, my attitude of anger, or, or whatever, whatever it is, or combination thereof, because there's more than one, I'm sure. Okay? Uh, Jesus takes that at salvation, wipes the slate clean, and says, by the way, here's my cloak of righteousness. And so when God the Father comes and he looks at us, he's not seeing the sin. He's seeing Jesus Christ's cloak of righteousness. And he says, my son, my daughter. What an exchange. And we have the privilege of asking and coming before this God because of that righteousness. If I talked about Moses, we know that he wasn't a perfect man, and yet he did great things for God. Samuel, Hezekiah, Elijah in this passage, Daniel, all of them were great men of God. David, great men of God, who knew how to grab a hold of the heart of God. And yet as we read through scripture, we can see that there was flaws in them. There was sin in them. Even the early church, a great illustration of the early church's prayer, Peter's in prison, and the church is gathered to pray, and the chains fall off, and Peter walks out of prison and raps on the door, and little Rhonda, the Remember the story? Uh, the, the servant girl opens the door, and there's Peter. Answered prayer. But I tell you, I don't think the early church was perfect. <laughs> Read through the book of Acts. So we can become righteous by how we treat Jesus, by what Jesus has done for us in accepting that. And that gives us the righteous standing. So the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous, the one that has trusted Christ, avails much. The last phrase is powerful and effective. The NIV says. I think the best definition I've seen of avails much is something to be reckoned with. Something that you don't want to stand up against because it is powerful. The strength or power of prayer is not the result of the person praying. Rather, it's the power that resides into the God that we're praying to. And so when we pray, yeah, it's words. It's not the words that become powerful. It's the fact that we have 
hung on. We have persisted. We have come into the very presence of a very powerful God. And when our will and his will match, then look out. You're something to reckon with. Your prayer is something to be reckoned with. The Bible urges us to pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, with this in mind. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Be alert. It's that idea of there's enemies out there, there's, there's distractions, there's things that's going to draw you away from. So be alert and keep on praying. Our prayers avail much when we take hold or lay hold on God through prayer. We need to find out what it is that God wants of us. As I said, prayer is not an option. Prayer is commanded us. Pray without ceasing. Pray. Uh, I, I haven't done a study, but I would venture to uh, assume that if I did a study on prayer, there probably isn't a page in Scripture that doesn't have some connection to prayer. Because it's our lifeline. It's our, it's our uh, can I say, the umbilical cord to our Heavenly Father that gives us the energy, gives us what we need on a daily basis. And yet sometimes I think we as believers, we treat it haphazardly. We're not like the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person. And I'm speaking to myself. I'm not just speaking to you. I'm speaking to myself. Sometimes I see it as more of a duty than a privilege. I sometimes see it as, well, okay, I'll just pray and then it'll be done and, and just sort of haphazardly throw a prayer around. And I think we insult God when we do that. But the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. It's something to be reckoned with. Tradition tells us that James, the writer of this epistle, was nicknamed Camel Knees. The reason for it is because his fervent dedication to prayer, it caused calluses to develop on his knees. I'm wondering, the question I asked at the beginning, how would people describe your prayer life? Like Camel Knees? Because you're constantly on your knees. You're constantly coming before God, our Heavenly Father, on behalf of either yourself, your family, your church, your business, whatever. How would people describe your prayer life? If the answer is anything but effective, passionate, or something to be reckoned with, then we need to ask ourselves, the question, 
that the disciples did in Luke chapter 11, where they came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then, of course, he went into the Lord's Prayer. When was the last time that you came before God and said, God, teach me to pray earnestly. Teach me to pray fervently. Teach me to pray so that my prayers are effective and there's something to be reckoned with. The message used, I'm going to close with this, the message, the paraphrase that uh, Eugene Peterson wrote, uh, he writes this verse this way, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful and to be reckoned with. Is that you? Is that your longing this morning? To have a powerful, effective, something to be reckoned with prayer life? And then they gave the illustration of Elijah. And Elijah prays, stops the rain for three and a half years. And he prays again and it rains. That's effective praying. But the good news is, you don't have to be perfect to pray. You just have to be in right standing before God. And that starts with our humbling our hearts, humbling ourselves before him, asking the Lord, is there anything in my life that hinders my conversation with you? And if there isn't, then pray. But be fervent. Be passionate. And watch God work. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glimpse in your word on what it is to have fervency in our prayer. And Father, may each one here desire to have that fervency, that passion in their prayer life. I'm sure we're all wrestling with issues a family member that is wrestling with sickness or is struggling with their faith. Maybe it's a business decision. Maybe it's a church decision or a family decision. And Father, help us. Teach us, Heavenly Father, as the disciples said, teach us to pray with fervency. But, Father, when we come before you, we come before you desiring you to do amazing things. And so, Father, teach us to pray in Jesus' name.